the subject for the evening talk is freedom from the known and the unknown. I remember a number of years ago when I was a monk in Thailand and after having spent some years there I <coughs> decided to make the short flight from Thailand into India and I had been already once to India before and was uh, fami reasonably familiar with the country. And I recall um, traveling on uh, some of the trains in India. And one of the fairly frequent kind of conversations that uh, took place on the train was with um, Indians of various uh, religions, Hindus and Jains and um, Sikhs and Muslims and others. And they, in seeing me as a monk, and particularly as a, a Western monk with a shaved head and the robes and so forth, one of the questions and puzzles which they often have about Buddhism was that the, of the fact, let us say, that there is no God, with a capital G, O.D. in the religion anywhere. And they, as well as um, Christians who I would occasionally meet there, would find it very difficult to comprehend and understand a religious life without God in the center of it. And not only without God in the center, without God whatsoever. And so it was very difficult for these um, people, religious people, and some of them deeply religious people with a deep faith in God, or perhaps what they would describe as an experience of God, um, for them to comprehend and understand a religion in which the word God or the equivalent simply never arose and was never referred to. And it, it kind of reminded me from time to time when in the monastery in the centre where I engaged in Vipassana meditation that a number of times some missionaries, Christian missionaries would come and call in and they would be going about their work of uh, endeavouring to convert and of course they would see me and make a kind of direct line for me if they saw me in the ground of the monastery 
And I think possibly, and certainly in a number of cases, <coughs> to rescue me, oh, that's what they... And felt that I had kind of gone on the um, wrong way, and I had got lost, and therefore I was in need of um, being saved. And I remember from time to time when they would come to meet and to, and to talk, it's as though from the standpoint of language and communication, we were living in two different worlds. And I recall too one time the missionary who was from um, Sweden, he said to me, um, I have a direct telephone line to God. <laughs> so, I couldn't for the life of me comprehend what on earth he was talking about. And he insisted that at any time he could telephone God and God would speak to him and he would know what to do, what, what he should do for the day because of this direct link. And then he said to me, and you too, it's possible for you to um, have the same telephone number and <laughs> ring God. So, then I would speak to him about awareness and looking at the relationship to life and the projection of thought. And he would look at me and think, what's he talking about? <laughs> so, there was one with the telephone <laughs> And there was one who didn't have a telephone. And we weren't able to ring each other. <laughs> so one sees, here's the situation in life where one person reports and experiences and in one way, and then another does it in another way, and there may not be any connection, any cooperation, any meeting. Yet, in this case, both would profess, at least, to be involved in, concerned with the expression of the religious life. And in that, it rather, and particularly too in travelling in India, I think one of the things which occurs um, inwardly is we experience some kind of dissatisfaction with this world that we live in. And I think it's a fairly common condition 
of human beings to varying degrees. If something doesn't feel right, sit right all of the time. And even though we may experience periods of great satisfaction and great appreciation and great sense of beauty and, uh, and joy and connection with life, yet to varying degrees and strength there are these periods where we simply don't experience that. And sometimes there is a lot of reaction and rejection to oneself, to life, to the whole phenomena of living, of the whole, whole ex experience of it. And perhaps sometimes in that, what occurs for us is that we want to get away from what is known. And what the known is, is what we experience through the senses, through the mind, through the feelings, through the body. So there's a situation in which you and I find ourselves in. We could say of ourselves, well look, I, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to come into this world. I didn't ask to be born of these parents. I didn't ask to go, go through this, go through that. I didn't ask for these pains and sufferings and confusions and so on and so forth. And all of this we find ourselves in the situation of. And at times we experience that we are glad to be here. We are glad to be alive. We are glad to, to figure what it's all about to some degree or other. But when there are these times when we're not experiencing that and we're not feeling that and we're feeling troubled with the world and troubled with life and the existence, then sometimes something other <coughs> begins to become attractive, something different from. So what we may experience is, th the firstly, the world of the known. And the world of the known is basically very simple. It's this eye and the object, eye and sight, ear and sound, smell, nose and smell, tongue and taste, body and touch, contact, and consciousness and mental activity, mental experience, feelings, thoughts, and the whole realm of mental life. That is the known. There isn't a no, a no, another known other than in the field of mental life. I mean, the whole range of mental experiences, a whole variety of them, physical life, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch. And this is the known. Nothing else outside of this field. And through what is known, we gain some knowledge of the world. Some of this knowledge that we gain, and experiential knowledge, instinctive knowledge, conceptual knowledge, emotional 
knowledge. Some of this knowledge we find in our way of living in the world really helps us to live well, to live intelligently, to live comfortably and easily. But what we also find is that we have accumulated with regard to the known a wide variety of knowledge and experiences and patterns which we begin to recognize actually are not helping us to live in the world. Setting ourselves up in conflict with the world, conflict with existence, conflict with each other, conflict with oneself. And so here's our situation as a human being, engaged in working with the known, some of it appreciative and valuable and helpful and ethical and considerate and wise and intelligent and appropriate and some of it, in spite of what we might like it to be, just not helping anything, anybody, anywhere, either ourselves or the world. And this situation, we find ourselves to some extent working with and to some extent experiencing from one day to the next. <coughs> so we, we stop and we look at this situation of being alive and being human and going through things and in our stopping we begin to question and it seems to me that stopping still and questioning go together quite naturally, quite organically. So we, we stop and we question and we find ourselves questioning what we are doing with our life, questioning the direction our life is going, questioning what's valuable, questioning how we think and feel about ourselves, about the others, about what is known. So the stopping or the stepping back allows a, a natural, I would say, a organic kind of inquiry or questioning or wondering about ourselves and who or what we are in this world that we live in. And so certain situations, like the one which we all provide here for each other, and other situations, encourage that. Now what happens in dealing with the known because some, shall we say, part of ourselves, I don't like the word part, but let's say some aspect of ourselves uh, knows <coughs> what one has to do. One knows that one has to engage in whatever, one has to take risks, one has to uh, really um, explore and there's other aspects of ourself which seem to undermine that, which seem to be in conflict or in contradiction to what our heart and our intuition tells us is appropriate. So when we do stop and when we are still, it isn't easy because we may experience in our being still quite contradictory tensions inside of ourselves. Sometimes 
some which we didn't even know were there. So sometimes we have got rather used to a certain way of life and we haven't felt conflict oh, thank you. we haven't felt conflict with this way of life we felt we've been going along quite well then we have stopped we have remained still we have looked again and then suddenly we're experiencing doubts do I actually want to continue in this mode? And so some people find that quite some changes begin to take place in their, in their life. And sometimes too, we find and we experience that when we are in a reasonable flow with what is known, and what is familiar, and we feel the benefit of it for oneself and for others and for life, that it all this being still is a kind of catalyst. It, it allows fresh insight, fresh idea, the emergence of a fresh ways to take place. So we may not change things dramatically, but we in terms of the fact of what we're doing with our life and the work or whatever but what we sometimes find through the stillness we change the relationship to it and we begin to look at the situation quite differently and we see and sense the possibilities and the potential. So it's not unusual in a retreat for a person in his or her area of interest to gain quite some fresh ideas about what to do next. And often they can be very imaginative, very insightful, very creative and very appropriate for this kind of setting. Then comes the but. There's always the but, isn't there, life? But, but, but. And the but is, even in the most ideal situation, ideal meaning one's life is going beautifully, feeling very harmonious with friends and loved ones, one is engaged in the work which is very fulfilling and nourishing, one is appreciates the nature, one feels in tune, well integrated or whatever. Even when, one, as it were, one is in a flow in life in which one can honestly say to oneself, I wouldn't change anything in this flow. And, that, and sometimes it's Sometimes it's minutes, sometimes it's days, sometimes weeks, months. One can experience that harmony and flow and a kind of general sense of pervasive satisfaction with the rhythm of one's life. And even with that, there also can arise but something more, something else. 
And what happens is, of course, we can't actually, with our eyes, with what is known, see this. We have a vague sense of something more, something else, something other, something unknown. And so, all the information which we have comes through what is known. What we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch, what we think about, what we feel about, what we understand about who I am in the world, our experiences, our awarenesses. We, we say, well, I'm in tune with all of this, I'm in harmony with all of this, I feel okay about being who I am in the world, I feel okay in this world, I don't regard it as a major problem or issue, but still that little voice of, dis of discontent, what's called in, uh, in uh, other religions, religious language, the divine discontent. It's that the discontent which emerges, which doesn't quite allow us to be fully satisfied with harmony of lifestyle. And sometimes we get so involved in what we're doing and so committed to it, and we might say committed to doing good, as an example, we're so involved in this that the little voice of discontent doesn't get much chance for expression, this divine discontent. And when it does, because we can't see except what is known and familiar, we think, ah, this discontent must be telling me something, must be indicating something which is other, something which is not known, something unknown. And then there's a, there's a gap, shall we say, between the world that we know and live in and experience and something other. And to this something other, we begin to put a word. We might just call it the other. We might call it the unknown. We might call it God or truth or um, liberation or Brahman or the Tao or all sorts of concepts. And in a way it's understandable that we, we do that because the known isn't anything else but what is known. And when that begins to happen, and religion has happened frequently and continues to happen in religion, very easily we wonder, how can I bridge the gap between the known and this unknown, which I don't know what it is, I don't know if it's a personal God, or if it's an impersonal God, if it's imminent, if it's transcendent, if it's this, if it's that. But, but I hear about it, I read about it, I may feel a little bit about it, and yet it's not here before my eyes, therefore it's got to be somewhere other, beyond. And what happens in the gap that gets this established, 
through this that to some degree the world is not quite so important. And this other, this truth, this higher, this God, this Allah, this whatever, becomes more important in my thought and in my idea and the gap between this other and this world can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it's not unusual in the religious life for a person to believe implicitly and totally, it seems, in this other and leading a life which doesn't really concern itself with the world and the state of the world. And, in the more extreme cases, this other, in the name of this other, tremendous violence can be perpetuated on the planet. Because the gap has got so big. And there's the, the contradiction or the conflict between the known and the unknown. And sometimes when we experience the size of the, experience this gap and view from the point of view of a gap, then someone comes along and this someone says to us, I have the key to this beyond, this unknown, this truth, this God, this enlightenment, this transcendent, or whatever. And so then there comes all these various gurus and prophets and saviors and mediators and this and that, as it were, who claim and who say, well, I come in here and through me or through this system or through this, then you will come to this other, whatever it is. And then one has, which goes along with this, a number of people, and I'm just giving description of what occurs, a number of people who say, aha, I've had this experience of this other. You can't take my experience away from me because this experience is of this other and, and therefore there is this other because I know it, I feel it, I've experienced it, I've been saved, I've been enlightened. I've been born again, I'm realized, I, 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 <laughs> And in the face of such communications, there is nothing much that one can say. But what one does sense somewhere that there is a gap. And the gap is between the world of the known and that which is called the unknown, the beyond, or whatever we want to call it. And I wonder whether we have to live with such a gap. So in this distance, 
Perhaps one of the considerations which is uh, necessary here is can I take the risk of letting go of something other? Or to put it in an orthodox religious language, can I risk living totally without God, without a mediator, without a saviour, without a prophet, without a book, without a pointer, without a, a, a prescription, without rules and regulations, without a methodology, and without something other. Can I let go of that? And sometimes what we feel in that is, and this is where trust comes, what we feel that sometimes, if I let go of this sense of other, or my certain experiences which I think are around something other, if I let go of that, what's going to happen to me is that I'll simply fall back into my old ways. I'll simply fall back into consumerism, into wanting desire, into sloth, indifference, apathy, fear, negativity, or whatever. And so sometimes we find that we seem to need to hold on to an idea of something higher or more noble or greater than what the known is. Something bigger and more expensive, bigger and better. And so one finds sometimes almost a two-way traffic here. One type of person gives up an enormous amount, and no question, gives up an enormous amount in the quest to find God. And people make tremendous sacrifice, go to tremendous risk, and there's a long history of women and men in this world who have made enormous sacrifices to find God. But there are others, and this is a two-way traffic, who make enormous sacrifices for discovery by sacrificing God. Not to have any kind of principle, any kind of first cause, any kind of creator, any kind of overview or uh, absolutism in any way whatsoever, and give up the apparent security that can be in, as it were, looking for God or finding God. I remember when the Christian uh, missionaries um, would come and, and uh, 
bring out the Bible and uh, and all the various reasons why uh, I was um, in the hands of the devil and uh, this. And I would respond. I remember one of them. And I would say, to try to find the language which they might possibly understand, I would say, Jesus told me to follow the Buddha. <laughs> now that was very difficult for them. Because if Jesus can tell them what to do in terms of being a missionary and converting people in the, in the third world, then surely Jesus can tell just you know, an ordinary guy like me to go and follow the way of the Buddha. So I would say, say this is what Jesus told me to do. And to some degree, it's some uh, actual, it wasn't just a, a, um, a clever idea. <coughs> And so, there's the situation, as I say, of two-way traffic, of letting go of, and one way or another, that perhaps what we are exploring, and this is where the faith and the trust comes in, is looking again at this whole relationship to the world. And in looking at this relationship to the world, then one doesn't really have much of a model or a reference point. One can't really turn to a particular book or teacher or teaching or whatever and say, well, this is what you do. It, the, 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 the journey is, is in a territory which we have to find out for ourselves. And there's no clear system or, or whatever about what we do. But all that we might say is, at the best, that if we are going to live, let's live as consciously as possible. We, got, we are going to have some encouragement. Let's be as conscious as possible, because the other, living unconsciously, isn't doing us or anyone else much use at all. So, from a, as a, a general guideline of living consciously, to see whether this world of the known, actually, there is more to be discovered than what we appreciate. Than what our eyes and our ears and our thoughts and our views and our opinions actually inform us. Can this world of activity and silence and senses and things and arising and falling and coming and going and birth and death and change and happiness and sadness, all of this which we call the world, is there discovery which can be made in this world? And so what we see, what we, what we notice and, um, and uh, 
talk, talk about is that frequently when our, in our looking at the world from a conventional view of our looking at the world what we notice of the world is that it seems like multiple number of different things. You only sometimes think of the world, they think all the different sounds, the different objects, the different thoughts, the different feelings, the different bodies, the different experiences. And we and see this world, this universe, seems to be full and full of different things. And we are one of them. And then we begin looking, looking at that. And then we begin to sense and see in varying ways that when we select all these different things, something of the same character is common to them. When we take out something, it seems to appear in time, pass in, stay for a time, pass in time. Some of these things we say, oh, this will last longer than me. And with others we say, I will last longer than it, or him, or her, or that, or whatever. And so the, the, so the way we live in the world is some things will last and some things will won't last either. That goes first, or I go first, or we both go together. But sure as sure, life is coming and life is going. And this is the way it appears. And taking it so simplistically as that, it doesn't really sound good news. Because there is the coming and there is the going. And sometimes with the coming and the going, sometimes in our investment, we're very pleased about it. We can't wait for the end of the sitting. Why? The knee hurts. We're very pleased that meditation is over. We can't wait for the end of the day because the horizontal posture is so attractive. We can't wait to get out of the house because the outdoors, etc., etc. And there's countless numbers of occasions where we feel relieved that something has finished. <coughs> it's not joy, it's relief. And then there are many other situations which we experience when something is over, we're very sad about. We're very depressed about, very unhappy about. And so that we notice that in our everyday relationship to the known, the way when things are changing, or not changing, is what really affects how we are. It's got to do something around changing and not changing. And if you think and reflect on any situation in life where it's regarded as a problem, where it's thought of as a problem or an issue, when you look at it, and when I look at it, it's got something to do with the way I feel and think about it in terms of it's changing or it's not changing. And one might say that's without exception. 
So here's this world that we're experiencing in this way, and this world, seen just in this way, not surprisingly, becomes too much to handle, so the sense of something out of this world seems infinitely better. Hence, the birth of religion. So, our stopping to be still and to look and look again may be so that we can question and we can ask ourselves, though I experience the world of coming, staying and going, though I experience the world, sometimes I'm glad about this is arising, sometimes I'm... I'm I'm happy that this is arising, sometimes I'm glad that this is going, sometimes I'm unhappy that this is going, sometimes I'm glad that this is staying, sometimes I'm unhappy that this is staying, and sometimes I couldn't care less about any of it, whether it arises, whether it stays, or whether it goes, because I don't care, because I'm not invested in it. So sometimes the relationship can be glad, sad, or just indifferent because life is a, a long yawn. <laughs> so, one wonders, one asks, and one questions, can, is there the potential and the possibility to perhaps see whether this is really the truth of life? So there's no other being offered, whether this is the truth of life, or whether this is how it appears. This is how it seems to be. And so sometimes bringing in and allowing a little doubt to come in about how it seems to be, that little doubt may be the beginning of a liberating wisdom in which the world itself and all of its extraordinariness and its phenomenalness isn't being negated because one isn't trying to get to something other, nor is it being ignored in any way, and nor, neither is it being accepted for just the way it seems. And I think when we, when we can begin perhaps to, to, to sense that it's not rejecting, yet not, yet not taking on face value, then there's a possibility to see completely afresh. And this seeing afresh, this rediscovering, let us put it like that, this rediscovering there ends all dissatisfaction. Finishes it. And the wonder and the marvel of it is that it's not something other as a point of view. It's not 
dwelling in the unknown all the time in something other and therefore an expression of distance the alienation nor is it saying this world in the way that it shows itself is it and perhaps a clue into all of all of this is that appreciation that sense of the dependent nature which knows neither beginning nor end neither arises nor ceases neither comes nor goes neither starts nor finishes nor has any middle and perhaps in or with all this vastness perhaps the freedom is as vast as the whole expanse of this dependent nature and that as was said previously the birthright is freedom the birthright is inexplicably with all this and that we don't have to step out of it we don't have to go somewhere else we don't have to reject this we don't have to believe in arising and passing as being the real way things are may all beings see into life may all beings see into the nature of things may all beings be free from the known and the unknown so let's have a couple of minutes quiet period